it's a service thing. But you build a good relationship. That's an intimate thing. That's a spiritual thing. Tattooing is a spiritual thing. And they trust in you. Like, they got to trust you. And that responsibility, I don't take lightly. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. As an artist, you make things, paintings, drawings, tattoos. But do you have what it takes to build a community? Community is not just some loyal collectors, couple of friends, some supporters, but a network of artists, art lovers, volunteers, apprentices, business partners, entire culture that builds on itself. Our guest today has done just that. Maya Belly, tattoo legend, artist, businessman, has created and supported a whole culture of people here in Atlanta. You've seen them on all the tattoo TV shows, <laughs> all the shows as an artist and mentor. He's got celebrity clients, all that. And what I love is what he's creating with City of Ink and Peter Street Station, the Community Arts Center in Castleberry Hill, right here in Atlanta, Georgia, right down from the Mercedes-Benz Zone. Today, we talk about everything Maya has going on, his recent solo show, Government Cheese, the tattoo, hip-hop culture in Atlanta, his experience in the art world, apprentices, and a whole lot more of that good talk that we do right here on The Noise. It's Studio Noise. Noise with a Z, baby. <laughs> the voice of black art. Follow us on socials at Studio Noise Podcast. Check the website at www.studionoisepodcast.com. Support the show by joining our Patreon. Link is in the show notes. Just like our latest patron, Miss Gloria Ware. Appreciate you, girl. <laughs> Thank you so much. Every, every little bit that you give help keep the show going. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. This labor love that I'm doing. This one man show to produce and give you this black brilliance that I give you every week right here on The Noise. Even the shares and the comments help out. Obviously, you can rate and write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Get us bumped up in the charts. Let everybody know about The Noise. Everybody know about this black art we talking about. If it's black and it's art, you already know it's The Noise. Go holler at the fam at Black Art America Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. All the art you're looking for from all your favorite artists. Build your collection with old masters like Ron Adams and Lewis Dale's art or start your collection with Kevin Johnson and Stacey Brown with them tremendous watercolors that we saw on the last show they had up there. You got to see it. Stop by, support the gallery, support the fam, blackartinamerica.com. Now, why don't you go ahead and look through your contacts? Just look through, speak through, you know what I'm saying? Everybody that you know got a little small tattoo. You know what I'm saying? Your girl got a little flaming cross on her wrist. The tiger prints across them cheeks. <laughs> but they got script letters of grandma's face on their chest. You know they love tattoos. You got to tell them we got the godfather of black tattoos right here on the show today. My belly. And after the break, it's my belly right here on the noise, baby. Yes. My name is Kevin Wag Williams. I'm a painter, creative, figurative storyteller for the culture. You are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Hey, 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 hey. 
recording here in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, it's you. You got the tattoos, man. You got the Peter Street Station. You got all the other in- endeavors that you do. I see you as a businessman. I see you as a mentor. Uh, with all the people that you bring up, man. Just what you? How would you describe yourself for the people that don't know you? I would just say a man who constantly evolving and changing and searching. You know, like I really um, love doing my best to open as many doors for young artists as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because, you know, like, because I'm pro-black or something. I am. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's more because of personal reasons, too. I love to, like, I want to see young, rich artists. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to see what happens when they get money. What kind of artwork do it change? I'm just, like, I'm factually, I'm fans of artists. Like, I'm, like, not just me. Like, I do art for a living, but I love I'm a fan of the culture and art, and I love to see our artists evolve. And when you get it, like if you can get them the resources they need, and it's unlimited, um, you just don't know what you, you're gonna get. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I just feel like a gardener, I guess. I'm throwing out a couple of little seeds, and <laughs> this person pop up, and there's sunflower, and this one a rose, and that one is a cantaloupe, and that one a cucumber, <laughs> and that one is some cauliflower. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah. You know. All you got to do is just nurture the seed, give them sunlight, give them the good soil, and just see what you get. You don't know. Yeah. And, um, I do a lot of stuff just based off my human curiosity, just to see what they're going to become. You know? And then you give them the good values, man. When they do blow up, they give back, reach back, and give back and help somebody else. So it's just like, I don't know. I'm, it's like I can see uh, a generation is using art the same way that a lot of people use sports or music to get yeah. out of the situation. Yeah. Yo, that that's real. And because you think of City of Ink in Atlanta, if you don't know, I do think of it as a community. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so many people that, like, have come in, interacted with it, branched out, came back, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. you always keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And there's so many names, can't even begin yeah, to, yeah, like, man, it's a lot of them. <laughs> just start throwing it out. So, uh, but to me, it all kind of revolves around not just a tattoo culture, but a, a hip hop culture yeah. that exists, right? And tattoos is part of it. Mm-hmm. Like hip hop rap is a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? All the street shit that we always yeah. talk about all the time. You know what I'm saying? So tell me about your journey coming to Atlanta. Came to Atlanta in 94. Mm-hmm. And what was the scene like then? And like, did you have a vision for kind of what you were going to build at the time? Well, I mean, I came to Atlanta because of the music scene. And I, the lack of art scene, I've seen that. But the main focus when I moved to Atlanta was to find an apprenticeship, a tattoo apprenticeship. Uh, to finish my apprenticeship that I started in North Carolina, I needed, when I wanted to move here, I needed to find another mm-hmm. location. And it worked out for me. Yeah. It worked out really good for me. But, you know, like I use um, tattooing was like the hook to leer, you know, leer my people in, younger people into art. Because it was the most accessible art form at that time to, for young people. A lot of young people weren't going to museums and galleries at this time. But they were getting, the culture of tattooing was coming up. So we'll just use that to introduce art to, to the people. So, you know, when I came down here, it wasn't really a strong art scene. I got in the art scene, in, like the one in Buckhead. And I was in the galleries there. I was in a couple of galleries when downtown Atlanta had art galleries. And most of them was just ripping me off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I learned the hard way. Yeah. So it kind of got me like, fuck that scene. Fuck them <laughs> and start my own thing. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like start something completely, you know, uh, catered to, you know, to my people. That's why I looked at it, you know. And not just um, 
I when I say my people, I'm not just referring to like just black people. I'm talking about like young people as a whole that's into art culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just into like you say, it's, it was a influenced by hip hop culture. You know, because uh, I went to Art Institute back then. It was next door to LaFace Records. They would come in and use some of my friends and stuff to do these album covers and stuff. Mm. When DL was working there and yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. My homeboy was doing like uh TLC cartoons for them for the, you know, and working on the outcast covers and stuff, doing that little comic strip, all yeah. this stuff with people that we went to school with. And that's how I met uh Goldie and Flux mm-hmm. and Tuki yeah. and Samba. I met all those brothers at Art Institute. And we've been, you know, that's how we got our bonds and everything. And we started doing shows together. Um, and that's how I got jumping. You know, it, yeah. was, it was dope. Yeah. It was dope. I joined up with Patchworks and that's how I got in, connected to the hip hop scene. Was it always like this sense of community that you have now? Like, was it that back then or was it just something y'all built over time? Just um, based on friendships and It was based on friendships and, and creating opportunities for each other. Like the first shows that I, w- I was attending was the shows that Lloyd Yadden was doing in Dan mm, the yeah, Man. yeah. Like at Vantage Point. Yeah. Shout out to Dan. I was in the, I was in front of his show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan the man and Loyata, man. They they was like, you know, I was kinda like I I got burnt by the galleries in Buckhead and the P, on Peachtree Street. I got I was just like, I'm not doing that. I'm not I'm just gonna sell directly to the my 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 buyers. I'm not gonna use galleries anymore. But they was the ones that kinda got me in these shows. And then we would do shows because they would do shows. So we were trying to do like he'll do a show. They'll do a show one week. We'll do another show one week. And we will all collab together. Mm-hmm. So they had their network of friends. I had my network of friends. And they all came together. Yeah. And it just started being consistent. And then uh, we met Corey Davis. And then Corey, uh, he was going to SCAD at the time. We, was, we weren't even on over here yet. It was on Mitchell Street. Mm-hmm. And he introduced, like, he brought all the little young SCAD artists over, which brought, made everybody step their game up because they were so talented. And he was, he was curating the shows. Only reason I got into curating shows because everybody else kind of stopped curating shows. <laughs> I was like, damn, we can't. We yeah, can't. you want to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, we had to keep it going. So yeah. we started doing City of Ink shows. We were doing one or two shows a month at City of Ink consistently for like, we did it for like 10 years straight. Wow. Like every month, sometimes two shows. You know, if it was a solo artist, we had a rule. Solo artists get two weeks, group shows do four weeks. Mm. And that's what we would do. We would switch off back and forth and we would try to give as many people solo shows as we could. And we'd try to do as many group shows as we could in that one space. And it started getting popular and bigger and bigger. More spaces needed to be done. You know, people branched out, opened up their own things, and we just stayed connected. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because yeah. the whole goal was empowerment. And yeah. Ownership and empowerment. That's always been our goal, to get people to own their own galleries, ran by artists. So artists can, you know what I'm saying? Ran by artists. Ran not ran by people who just in the culture to get money off artists, but actual artists running the galleries and operating and curating the shows. And uh, that was just a strong thing that we got con- control of uh, our community because we seen what happened in hip hop culture. Yeah, and everybody making more money in the hip hop culture than we make it off of it. Even a person who making the music get less money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, then somebody in a room somewhere like yeah. making all the cash. Yeah. Nah, I'm with that. How hard was it to get people to buy into the idea of art? Because we, you know, we, there's a, there's a thing going around where people don't like art, but people do like art, but they like what they like. They don't, might not necessarily like what you want to put into a history book and all this other stuff. Like it's another, it's a whole different vibe on the community and shows that y'all put together. 
what we did was, so we started in 2007. And what we do, if we had an artist that's 19, the artist part was the easy part. It was curate, it was cultivating the young art collector. Mm. So we was like, and fashion was always a big deal for us. Like we like clothes, we get fly. That was always a city thing about fashion and shit. Yeah. So he was showing all the rappers how to dress and what to buy and clothes and stuff. People would send us free stuff to wear. So it was like, okay, okay, how are we going to introduce art? We can use the tattoo culture to introduce art. Uh, be realistic. I mean, weed culture, mm-hmm. um, fashion culture. And um, we had a lot of skaters and stuff hanging with us. We just had to introduce that. So we had a young artist that's 19. We introduced him to a young person that's 19. You got a choice of buying some, maybe some Jordans, or you <laughs> might buy this painting yeah. for the Lolo. Yeah. Because remember, they're young. Yeah. So like, if somebody 19 years old, they, they can buy a seller paint for 200 bucks at that time. You introduce them to a, a, a collector that might just got to go to college, don't want to post it. They might want a real painting in their dorm room, and you got $200 to buy some, some J's or to buy the painting. It was up to us to kind of cultivate them to understand the value of buying that. Like when Paper Frank was 18. His collector was 18. Now I'm like, look, now when he gets to a certain point, that worth is going to be worth some more. And now, we, now 10 years later, those same people who's buying $200 paints buying $2,000 to $20,000 paints now. Yeah. Because life has changed. And a lot of times when you buy art, you ain't stop buying it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. going to collect. You grow with them. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to collect. With, so my whole thing was to match up an art collector um, with a young artists that they can afford and then they'll grow and then the artist price go up that person also lifestyle change they can afford it while it's going up yeah and that's all we did we cultivated so the same people now 16 years later sitting 16 years old 16 years later we got the same art collectors mm. same database same everything mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so yeah. it's just like we lucky that we got an in-house like our own network of collectors now yeah but yeah. we, we had to put the seed in it first. Yeah. And then it become like part of the family almost. Like yeah, you get exactly. to see that person and grow up with them. You talk to them at the shows. Y'all hanging out probably. Yep, yep. You know what I'm saying? Smoke a jazz something together. Yep. Like all that good stuff. And then now yeah, it means more to you because you know this person. Yeah. Like and it means a lot when they in got them. it in your house too. Yeah, you exactly. Like send me a picture of that painting above your private place from you right quick. You know what I'm saying? It's like a good feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah, especially when people like get it and really value it, you yeah. know, because a lot of times, like, we in your studio now, man, you making mad stuff. I yeah. know you put your heart into it, yeah, you know what I mean. I know mm-hmm. you care about all this stuff, like, yeah. you got the message, and so, like, having a good go to a home where people get it, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, super important, yep. And then they see it, like, we do, I do transparent business, so it's like, you see where I'm putting my money, mm-hmm. like, you buying a painting just because my intention is, is, is like, intent is like. I'm doing a painting. It's not for vanity. I'm doing it for, hey, if you buy this painting for $10,000, trust me, that $10,000 is going back into a community center, going back into our supplies, maybe free canvases for somebody, lessons. It's going to go to a good cause. It's not just going to like my pocket where I can just buy a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not into materialism. I like fly shit though. Like, I'm not into materialism. Like you know, like, I'm, go, I'm not gonna go so far with it. You know what I'm saying? I like my sneakers and my boots and my hats and shit. Yeah, you know? like I like Louis Vuitton. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I get you. But that, I make my own money. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I make my own money. But when I'm doing like when I'm been doing these shows, it's really to so um, 
I can get back in some way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The make what I make for my living is personal use. But when I do these shows like every once a year or whenever I do them, it's um it's an intention behind it. Might be, if you see me doing a show, a solo show is because I'm working on a project and I want to get funds up. I don't mm. ask for fundraisers. I don't do fundraisers and stuff. I just make the art. Yeah. You know, you never see me do a fundraiser. You know what I'm saying? I just <laughs> make the art. You yeah. know what I'm saying? To nah, I fund feel the like, project. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So and then at the same time, you got record of it so you can show when you're doing business deals. You're like, look, I make this on my own. You know what I'm saying? And now I got a little leeway when it comes to deals. Like, I, like we can do business, but like, you know, like, I made this money on my own. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's just like you get a little bit more leverage. Yeah. When you hey. can make, you know, yeah. you don't need them. And I love that. How you, how all these projects like Peter Street Station that you yeah. did, it's all self-funded. So you don't have mm-hmm. to like go outside and yeah. listen to or compromise your ideas and nothing yeah. like that you keep complete control of it but you also let in the community invest in it too yeah right because they your transparency they know yo this is for yeah. this yeah. like it's not for my just gonna go blow it off yeah. in the Bahamas, <laughs> you know what i'm saying like <laughs> yeah i'm not blowing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i like that and i i think that that part of again say it again community man the community part aspect of it is we are building something together yeah you know what i'm saying like you're always a part of this thing that's going on yeah with peter street station that whole thing was like people volunteered to we built that by volunteer work i i, I sold up enough artwork to pay for the materials which was like one hundred and ninety thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. but you know to flip it we flipped that building by love like it was oh i'm a mason I'm a masonry. I can do masonry brickwork, or I can do woodwork, or I, I, I can pull a contract for to do you know the foundation work. You know all the stuff that I needed. Like I mean, it was just unbelievable. Like I did, I curated the um, when the trap museum first opened up. I right. curated it exchange of a HVAC unit. Nice. I didn't want the money. Yeah, I don't trust rappers with money. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Tilt, but I don't, you know, I no disrespect, but I, um. I don't trust rappers when it comes to paying me. So it was just like, uh, I was like, how about we just do this? I would curate the Trap Museum. I don't want any credit for it. This exchange of um, a 500, you know, a five ton unit, you know, for Peter Street Station. And then Patchworks came in, was like, look, you do this for us, boom, boom, boom. And then we get the other unit. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, it was just people coming in, helping us out. Yeah. And uh, it was all love to the people. We flipped that building now to like, you know, nice, nice profit. It's, a, yeah. it's worth a nice penny over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah. You, y'all built it up, man. Yeah. Y'all got your own little thing going on. Yeah. And if you haven't been, you know, make sure y'all come to Atlanta, come by the Peter Street Station, man. They got the hidden gallery in the back. They do like spoken word and concerts and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff in the front. It's a lounge area. Like it's, it's, it's laid out, man. It's nice. Thank you. Like you ever come through and just get the vibe, man. Just hang out with your boy. Yo. It's, I really appreciate it's good that. stuff, man. Good stuff, yo. And so part of it, we're going to talk about tattoos a little bit too. Cause yeah. you might be, well, you might be the second tattoo artist I had on the show. Okay. But talk about the relationships that you build with your tattooing and how you kind of relate that to your fine artwork. So, well, the tattooing is my database. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like every client is is now a part of a database. So it's like you got intimate time to talk to each client. And then this client might be our collector and they might don't be our collector. So now you got a chance to introduce them to your art. 
outside of the tattooing. Tattooing is more service. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they give me my, my clients do give me freedom. Don't get me wrong; they give me a lot of freedom, but they still throw me a kind of a loose concept. Hey, I want something dedicated to my mother and father and my right. son. You know, I might be like, "Dang, I want to do an eight fighting, <laughs> fighting Godzilla." You know what I'm saying? Like, I might want to be in another mode, yeah. but I have to cater to what you know. You know, they always say you can do anything you want, but they really don't. Yeah. Say, they don't really mean. <laughs> they don't mean. I'm like, yet. I want to. I'm gonna do a monkey today <laughs> in a you know in a, some armor. You know what I'm saying? But they ain't listening to me. You know, but so it's like, um, it's like uh, it's a service thing. But you build a good relationship. That's an intimate thing. That's a spiritual thing. Tattooing is a spiritual thing, and they trust in you. Like they gotta trust you, and that responsibility I don't take lightly. So you do got the power of a little bit of influence on, on those people, you know? And so it's just like, I'm doing my best. If they don't like my work, then I'm still a hustler. I'm still an art dealer, right? So if they don't like my work, I can pull out another 12 artists. Right. Like, hey, you might like this person's work or her work or this work. I'm going to still get my cut from making a deal happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just how you start your ecosystem and we feeding each other that way, you know? But my tattoo clientele, man, they are like really, they not no dumb people. Like they really smart, intelligent, and um, and they are the foundation of what everything I do. You know what I'm saying? Because when it's time for me to fund a project, I just book out a couple of tattoos. I book out maybe a month, like two or three months, and I can now I make enough money to fund it without going to a bank asking for anything. Yeah. So those are my, that is my bank. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's quicker too than trying to do a whole series of paintings at the same time too. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. paint, paint, my one painting might take me a month. You know what I'm saying? Or two months or three months. I can knock out how many tattoos in that time period. So it's just like, yeah. you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And they know what I'm working on because they can see it. Yeah. They can walk in the Peter Street Station. They can come up. It's like Ikea. You got to walk throughout the whole thing to get to my booth. Yeah. Right? I did that on purpose. So you can constantly <laughs> walk, through the, walk through the front room. Gallery, the pottery room, go up, lounge area, my personal art collection, all the way up into the tattoo room, to my booth. You got to walk all the artists, the painters to get to me. Yeah. And that, and that opened their mind up because while they're getting tattooed, right across from them, it's an artist doing some painting right in front of them. And that's how I sell it. Why they, I got five hours in that chair with me. Man, look how amazing that painting look. Oh, man, I'm selling my artists. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm selling my artists. And they looking at it. And people who don't make art are mesmerized by when they see it done. It's like magic. Mm-hmm. And to be in that environment where you're not an artist surrounded 360 degrees by artists working and creating the artwork was all intentional. You know, because it's an energy when you're in a room full of artists creating. And if you're not an artist and you feel that energy, it's going to be alien to you, excitement. And it's like, you now you, you don't have to even look at a TV. You can look at everybody painting, listen to some good music, and the vibe is cool. And it's a good vibe. It's a good mixture. Yeah. I don't separate because um, I do what I, we call it is fine art tattooing. We don't mix the genre. Like we try not to mix it. We I, like when I'm painting, like when I'm tattooing, I don't sep- Like I don't approach it like a tattoo. I follow the rules and foundations of tattooing, which is we got our own rules and foundations how things are supposed to be laid out in order. But um, but the Art style I'm doing is more of a fine art style. It's not. It's something that, that you don't have to be in the tattooing to appreciate the art form of it or the message in it. Yeah. Because I approach it like a painting every time. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And you say a lot of your clients do give you the freedom to like do your thing. Yeah, I get. Mm-hmm. I, I got them in. I got like um. I got a chart like a volume like a level one, which means you have zero concept and you want whatever I'm in the mood to do. 
Then you got a level two, which means like you never seen me do this before. You know I'm gonna have fun because I love a challenge. And you're like, hey, my ain't never did that. And I know he's gonna have fun with doing it because he wanted to do something he never did before. So boom, it might be like, hey, I want to do, you know, Daffy Duck uh with his head blown <laughs> off or something. I might have fun. I love cartoons. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you know that. Volume three is somebody shoot me a loose concept, like, hey, I want something dedicated to my family. And then I gotta come off the head with something dedicated. I ask my cute questions. Then four level four is this. I might be doing a tattoo and trade for a service, or like a barter. Could be a friend, could be a family member. Mm-hmm. That's level four. I'm just doing it based off loyalty and love. Yeah, yeah. Nah, that's dope, man. And so I do them in volume, so everybody like everybody want to be a certain level. Like I want to be a level one because now everybody <laughs> want to be level. Because it sounds good to be a level one. <laughs> you know, when it's realistically, you might don't want to be a level one. You know what I'm saying? But it's yeah. but level one is to me my favorite because mm-hmm. it's or oh, level two. You know, like I love to do a challenge that I never something I never done before. And I also love when somebody gave me pure freedom. Right. You know, but I still gonna pick their brain a little bit. It's gotta match their soul. Yeah. So they ain't a it ain't like a t shirt. Yeah, you can do art. whatever on them. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna ask them some key questions. So like they be like, anything? I'm like, oh, <laughs> what you like? What you listen to? What's your favorite music? You know what I'm saying? You gotta ask them what they wanna vibe to. Yeah. And then that kind of give them a taste of their personality. Like, hey, I'm gonna put on some outcasts, you know, it is, or I want some Miles Davis. I can kind of get a Feel of their soul yeah. and personality. You can relate that to imagery, like you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I can just flow off the vibe of that. Yeah, and it usually come and it, it usually just happen. And these people are like, in a way, collectors of your tattoos. Yeah, right? they are because they'll come and get like multiple tattoos. Yeah, from yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? They're wearing it on their body. I've been tattooing the same people, man, same clients for thirty years. That's what's up. They grandchildren now. Yeah, and everything. You know, imagine me being. I started tattooing when I was seventeen, and my client back then when I was seventeen, they were thirty. Wow. Think about it. Yeah. You know, so I'm tattooing their grandchildren now. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Man, like <laughs> three wild, generations. Yeah. The grandmama, mama, and, you know, the new baby. <laughs> it's just everybody being there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I and can't imagine that. Like coming in and be like, yo, you tattooed my grandma. Yo, I really liked it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like let me get like an eight yeah. or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's dope, man. Yeah. So be generational with yeah. the tattooing. I'm sure really... you got a lot of stories like that, though. Yeah, just in man. terms of like relationships with people and stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've been tattooing 30 years straight. What's been your favorite time to tattoo? And do you do you have like a reason why? Like, you know, you've seen Atlanta change a yeah. lot since 94. Like, yeah. I've seen it change since 03 when I moved here. So I know you've seen some stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. was there any like error in terms of like that matched up with the music, that matched up with the vibe? That yeah, was the West End favorite? era to me, West End tattoo era. Uh-huh. When West End was there, that's when Booty Shape was there. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. So the music, was, the tattoo culture matched that. But we start doing these big ass calligraphy letters on girls' thighs. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, going across <laughs> the thigh. But it yeah. matched the booty shake era, that bass era. You know, yeah. the, the the lettering and everything was just a flow of that culture at that time. And it was really dope. You know what I'm saying? Of course, when Tupac hit the scene, mm-hmm. it's influenced. Everybody started getting, you know, like everybody the crosses yeah. and only God can judge me mm-hmm. and all these things. It influenced lettering and all kinds of things. So yeah, every single change that I've seen Atlanta go through the BMF era, now everybody, the death before this honor and, uh, you know, all these street styles tattoos came into place. And um, that's when I was, like, really trying to find my voice as a tattoo artist. Because at this one point, I was just serving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, whatever they needed. You yeah, could, yeah. yeah. And, but I was always freehanding and, and drawing it myself, but the concepts wasn't mine. Um, I didn't really get into, like, 
you get to really see what I can do into the city ink era. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Which was the end of BMF, going into like our last Atlanta hipster era. Mm. You know what I'm saying? With uh, with Fadia was doing the Brooklyn bougie, uh, broken bougie parties and everything like that. That's when the style completely opened up, and I started getting the freedom I needed to be uh, myself to create. That's dope. And what and that that was around the time you established City of Ink. So was that yeah. a different kind of? of freedom that you gave yourself where you know you're not dependent on being in somebody else's shop and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. oh I, I, I'll take that back. Let me ask this question because we're talking about tattoo artists, entrepreneurship and business wise. I think of it the same way you think of like yeah. hairstylists, mm-hmm. like hairstylists, they get together, they, somebody has a shop, you pay for the chair fee and all this kind of stuff. Wait, tattooing is different percentage. Oh, it's a percentage. Okay. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. I want to understand like the business structure of it. And so, how much did that influence what you were doing too? Um, with a business part of it, yeah, like opening up City of Ink and like, well, we had learned that kind era, of era because City of Ink was our fourth shop. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we learned everything was like people think it's like we just had success. We had more. I had more failures than success. Yeah, like I, people got to understand like the wisdom came from failing. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't come from the oh it, it, that worked. A lot of things did not work. And I had to start over and start over. Like, we get evicted from shops. Mm. Like, we were still young and wild, partying. We got to really learn a lot of stuff. And I learned, I made a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. um, to get to City of Ink. Once we got to City of Ink, we kind of used all the errors that we did, the other shops before City of Ink. And we just said, hey, we'll start over. Named it City of Ink. We all cut our hair off. <laughs> we had locks. We all cut our hair off. We tried to change that image up. Take it more serious. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Take the, yeah. the, we knew for a fact Atlanta was going to an era of image. Mm. So people were like, damn, y'all smoke a lot of weed and this and that. But realistically, we used like weed and social media and all this stuff at the beginning of MySpace and us openly smoking weed. I just studied the greats. Like I was like, oh, look at Picasso on that. She's smoking a cigarette. Look at Bob Marley smoking a spliff. Look at pop, and I was like, "It's a." It was just like, and then that culture was so. Oh, it's taboo. They doing this and doing that. <laughs> we just used it to re, to attract the rebels. Yeah. So it was just like all that was just not you know like it was all intentional. The way we dressed was intentional. The way we shot our photos was intentional. The way we used weed it was intentional. It wasn't just because we like weed and was an activist of it. It was because we knew we draw in weed smokers, mm-hmm. which was a large percentage. And that now they know they got a safe place we can talk about and vibe out to some weed and some art at the same time. So it was just like everything was intentional. Yeah. I and like that. Everything, like marketing is my thing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And imagery. And I studied the greats. And I was like, okay, well, I don't enjoy doing interviews. I like this one. <laughs> I love, I love, I love, because at first, I mean, because I was afraid to, you know, tell, you know, just to talk. I didn't want to really do these things. But the more I studied the greats and, and I watched like, um, was it Tupac Resurrection, that movie? Mm, yeah, That's when yeah, it kind of opened yeah. my mind up to like, let's start doing these interviews. You know, let's start doing these interviews and telling our stories because something happened to one of us. Then we can, uh, we got enough voiceovers. Yeah. We got enough audio. We got enough interviews out there that we can chop and screw it. And guess what? Now you got a story documented, made it of your life. Yeah. You're not even here no more. You live yeah. wrong. That's, that's, that's real. So I don't turn know? down any interviews to this day. That's what's up. I did a really, well, I'm gonna say I did a really bad interview yesterday. <laughs> but I can get into that. So I don't know we got Aaron, so they probably don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so you know who matters. But but I still don't turn them down. It could be a college kid. Yeah. It could be a high school kid. Yeah. 
I'm going to do my best and my best to, um, you know, to give them the best I can give them. So, you know, when it's time on my time to come to lead the planet, you got these voices. You got everything. Yeah. That you, you left me here. Yeah. Yeah. I got the stories. Nobody telling the story but myself. Yeah. And I'm and along the way, I'm sure you have lost some people. Like, yeah, this man, whole we lost time, some. You know? We had a rough. We had a couple in our crew, man. Like Samba, God bless his soul, was our manager. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost him a couple of years ago. And uh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And when Samba died, man, that was our heart. That was the guy who kept us together. So that was rough. Everybody dealt with it in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, Tuki dealt with it his way. Uh, Corey dealt with it his way. I dealt with it my way. And I was just lucky, man, because uh, me and Sam was working on Peter Street Station together. Mm. He passed away. So I knew he wanted me to finish it up. I knew he was going, you know, he was transitioning. We knew this already. We talked about it every day about that. And I know what he wanted me to do. So just like, you know, we fought every day till he died. <laughs> but it was, you know, but he laid down, like, I knew what he wanted me to do. I know he wanted to try, do my best to keep the family together because mm-hmm. he was the heart that kept us together. And then, you know, everybody dealt with, the, you know, their own way. Then I had to deal with, you know, with Corey's situation. Yeah. And that was hard, you know what I'm saying? Because we didn't know Corey was going to make it. You know, he, luckily, he walking around now. He talking. That's good. He eating. That's good. moving around. And it's a healing process every day, but that's our brother. We're going to be there. And what's one thing about us? We don't let nobody fall to the wayside. When Frank was going through his thing, and it was a public thing he was going through, we never left his side. We was his brother. And we hope people do the same thing for me because, I, like I like, we all go through rough times and rough patches. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes, man, people, you'll think people are going to be there for you, and they're not going to be there for you like you think they're going to be. I just don't want to be that type of person. Yeah. They'll be there for the dark times. Good times and the bad times. Some people just there for the celebration and the good times. Yeah. And I learned that the hard way. Within, yeah. I just learned that within a couple of years. And I'm 47 years old, bro. And I thought, you know, you're still learning lessons in life. I'm like, damn, I thought that person was my friend. I had a bad <laughs> moment, a bad day. And now I'm not nothing to them. You know wow. what I'm saying? So I'm just lucky now. It's like, I'm going to keep my family that I got. They ain't perfect. But I'm going to make sure that I'm going to ride for my people. You know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna mm-hmm. leave them to the wayside. Yeah, you know, I love take them. care of them. Yeah, cause they take because we could not get here without like people be thinking like City Inc. And then they say me, but it was all of us. Like it was a collective. Like I was just the face of a lot of things because I was the one that was the most. I guess I I could articulate my thoughts and feelings. Probably you know what I'm saying. That don't mean that I'm more talented or smarter than nobody else. It was just that. I was just probably the spokesman and put it. Right. You know, that was like, your You don't role. know. You don't yeah. know what your goal going to be. It's like the Temptations. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, who they favorite in Temptation? Who, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be Ralph Transman or Bobby, Bobby, you know, Johnny Gill or Bobby Brown. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, you know, that was just your role. Yeah. That was your role for the thing. Like, yeah. Everybody going to have a favorite. And, um, and, you know, I just didn't, I tried my best to make sure that that hype and all that bullshit don't get to my head. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, because people start believing hype. And I got a theory, I got a philosophy where I only listen to the opinions of the people that buy my stuff. Mm. Everybody else just an opinion. Everybody got one of those. It don't matter. But I only value those like really close to me, like my family and the ones that really support me and make sure I'm feeding my family through selling them whatever product I'm yeah. creating at the time. Yeah. Their really, opinions matter to me. Yeah. It's who really putting the money on the table? Who really like yeah. is there yeah. like for, for real support? So people are coming over there, I got an idea for you. Like, nah, <laughs> why you ain't did it? <laughs> why you ain't did the idea? Why you shouldn't feed me some extra shit in my mind I don't need right now? Don't Man, play no seeds yeah. and stuff in my head I don't need right now. 
Let me man, stay focused. Now I got to do your idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to do your idea, man. People do that to me every day. I got this idea for Peter Street Station. Do it then execute it. It's free community center. You do it. Yeah. You know, you do it. You execute it. And let me see how you do. Don't put no extra shit on my plate. <laughs> I'm trying to retire, yeah. man. This is Toki Taylor's studio. I am a photography-based artist out of Atlanta, Georgia, and a educator, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Hey, and along with that, man, you have a long list of, uh, of apprentices, so I really, really yeah. love and appreciate like the level of mentorship that you're giving like, the kids, and I like your focus about how you talk about the young kids and giving them what they need because you went through your trials you, mm-hmm. could, you know what it's like we all should remember yeah. what it was like <laughs> yeah to be that age to be going through things to have your hormones raging yeah. to like be down on your luck all that stuff so i love the way you give back and talk to me about some of the some of your apprentices and and kind of the journey that you've been on with them a little bit um like Corey's Corey davis for example like you know like when i got Corey, he was 18 uh, I was leaving the streets. Like I still didn't have a hundred percent faith in my art. Like mm. you know, I was trying to find my voice. Like Atlanta ain't really fucking with my this weird shit I'm doing. You know, I'm like <laughs> I gotta really do other things. So I was, you know, I had one foot in, one foot out. Like I was literally, um, and when we was on Mitchell Street, still dabbling in the streets a little bit. When I got Corey though, I knew I couldn't do that no more. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was like I had an excuse to kind of get away from what I was doing. Um, do a new leaf, a new path, and um, and I was poor, broke. So Corey learned how to hustle. So he was there, you know, he was there to, every step away, checking the emails, teach, doing the bills, going through the paperwork. How much this shit cost? Damn, we short five hundred dollars. How are we gonna get it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He coming up with concepts. I'm thinking of coming up with concepts. So he learned the business side of it. So, he, so when it was time for him to finish his apprenticeship. We sent him off. The, uh, he goes to New York and start working with Dame Dash. He mm-hmm. interned with Dame Dash at Creative Control, which gave him more knowledge so we could come back and do documentaries and films now. Um, but then after him, Paper Frank came along. Paper Frank was, I was at the peak. I was in my 30s. I was in the peak of my career. Every magazine, I was in every magazine you can name. I was doing everything. So whoever I announced was my next apprentice was going to blow. Corey had related foundation, hardcore. We had, um, other, I'm going to give a shout out to other apprentices, but I'm just saying the main No, yeah, no, nah, keep, yeah, keep it going. All of them was special to me. Mm-hmm. But when it came to Paper Frank, it was that whoever I was going to announce as my apprentice was going to do good. We announced Paper Frank as my apprentice, and he was booked out. He didn't even tattoo yet. Right. He wouldn't do anything yet. And so what we did when we were doing is like, well, are you learning how to tattoo? We, gotta, we always teach our apprentices how to do other stuff to make money because I'm not going to take care of you. And I need to know you can survive in Atlanta because he's from my hometown too. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, every time I get somebody from my hometown, they can't handle the city. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I was just like, but he did. You know what I'm saying? He survived it. And it was just uh, so fast. It was overnight. And he painted and painted and he's selling his paint and taking care of himself. So by the time he started tattooing, we needed the extra staff to handle just his books mm-hmm. and his booking. Yeah. Which caused me not to be able to teach Frank all the business aspect like I taught Corey. 
Cause now the struggle's over. Like we not poor no more. We he I got Frank at my balling stage. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Corey was my broke stage. Frank was my balling stage. So when it came to like fame and a whole bunch of stuff coming at Corey, I mean with Frank, uh, he wasn't. You know, I don't know if he was ready for all that rush of popularity so right. fast. Right. And so people got to publicly see that. You know what I'm saying? What happens to the young artists who dying to be a part of the 27 Club and all these things? And I'm like, I got to keep my boy alive. That's my whole my whole thing with this to keep Frank alive. Number one thing. Like, if he can make it past the 27 Club thing and really focus, we can get him on point. He saw his ups. He saw his downs. And now he's back on his feet again. And I love to see that. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, man, Frank, I, like, I ain't taking no more apprentices. Fuck this. <laughs> and then we started, I started working on Peter Street Station and uh, Uncle Bree came in. Yeah. And when Uncle Bree came in. Shout out to Bree, yo. Yeah, man. She set a whole nother ball game. Yeah. Because now Bree come in where I'm going into the era where I'm becoming a millionaire. You understand? Like I'm, I'm at the peak of be like this project will make me a millionaire if I do it and complete it. Mm-hmm. She came into the, she came into this thing working harder than every. She was volunteering now, working, helped me build Peter Street Station. Was there every day, beat every was there before the any man, after every man left. She was there learning it firsthand, the business creating it, everything firsthand, just like kind of like how Corey did. But this time I wasn't struggling. I was right. at the peak of becoming like where I'm becoming. And she helped me build it. And the whole time she had a baby, didn't know it because she never let a child affect her coming to work. Mm. I didn't even know it. She was pregnant. I was like, oh, I'm about to lose my. You know, I'm, <laughs> stere- I'm be real. I'm stereotyping it. Like, oh, fuck. She pregnant. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, lose my heart. I'm going to lose my system, yeah. so, Yo, bro, she didn't, that didn't stop her. Yeah. She was pregnant and she still outworked any man. Any man, anybody, yeah. period. She just outworked people, even pregnant. So I'm like, what the hell? So Bree was the first apprentice I had, like in the back while we setting up doing clients. I got to step in the back. She pump her breast and come back to work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. She ended up pumping her breast, doing her thing for her baby, and getting back to work. And she and I was like, yo, I respect her for the fullest. You know what I'm saying? Because I re- and she just get she hit a soft spot because I see my mother. You know, my mom was like doing it on her own. So I was like, yeah, man, Bree is really strong, man. Yeah. And she set up bar really high. And after Bree came in, I couldn't deny nobody else coming in. And then I ended up getting a lot of apprentices right after Bree just flooded in. And now I got Peter Street Station. And I'm going to give a shout out to her because she helped me lay down a foundation of that. No, nah, that's real. Yeah, she was super dope. Yeah. Now yeah. she got her own studio. And I, and I don't know if I'm going to say nothing, but shit. Maybe I hold her accountable. She kept it. She, <laughs> bought it. she should be opening up her own art gallery soon. Nice. Nice. So stuff yeah. like that is really dope to me to see. Yeah. Um, I, I love to see, you know, you know, just the kids. Oh, I'm not calling her kid. Want the women and the young men coming up um, and seeing them become their own bosses. I love that, man. Because I know they're going to do the right thing with it. I, I did the best I put. They see my mistakes. And a lot of times they didn't understand why I was on them like I was until they on their own. Yeah. I didn't understand my mentor until I was on my own. Yeah. I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> I was rebelling. I was rebelling for no reason at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. you don't know until you're you on your understand own. It. Yeah, the you lessons. didn't understand like, it. Nah, yeah. I understand. You know? Because yeah. the boss, your whole goal is just to keep everybody together. Because mm-hmm. you're working with artists with all these strong personalities. Some of them are not social. Some of them are social. Butterflies. Some of them not social at all. 
um, some egotistical, some low self-esteem. It's all the shit you got to do. And it's like all these pieces. And what if you got eight of them or nine of them together? Yeah. You got to work with these strong personalities. And your goal is to move them like a chess board. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And make sure that everybody protecting everybody's back. And that's a hard thing to do every day. It is. It's stressful too. It is. Boy, it's, it's like a soap opera <laughs> some days. You know? <laughs> But they all what they they all manage and come out of it. You know what I'm saying? They get what they. What, I always tell my students, you get what you put into it. Yeah, you do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So her coming in, she had the opportunity to be with you. Yeah. But she could have easily not invested the time and energy to really learn it. But she did. So big shout out to. Yeah, Marie. she did. She stuck yeah. by it. She stuck by it. She did a thing when it was time for her to spread her wings. You know, we got her back. Like that's always going to be somebody I got. I I will. My loyalty gonna belong to somebody like that. That's you know dope. What I'm saying? Yeah. She always got a place, a home with us anytime. No, nah, that's dope, yeah. yo. That's dope. Now tell me about this. Cause sometimes, like, even I've seen you on the the TV shows. Like yeah. you've been on Ink Master. What was the <laughs> what was the show you was on? Tattoo Titans. Tattoo Titans, yeah. yeah. Master, best yeah. ink. All the stuff like you kind of like the ink man, like everybody know, yeah. like about you in the tattoo game. They call me the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I like. That. <laughs> yeah, so you you know so much about it. I'm gonna ask you this because, um, you know, respecting the tattoo game the same way I respect any other art form. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the one thing that I, I hate, and maybe you can speak to this, mm-hmm. is when I watch the the show sometimes, and it's time to pick canvases, people yeah. to do tattoos, and the first thing they say, oh, they got dark skin. Yeah, I don't want to tattoo them, and it's yeah. like I don't know. It just some send some make me feel a certain because they don't know way. how to do it. Yeah, and I hate that. Like, why yeah. does it? Why? Why is that? Why, they don't know how to do it. Why is that? They just didn't know how to do it. That's all. It's just they're not trained in it. It's a special way to do it. It's just a, a lot of tattoo artists don't want to spend an extra two, three years learning a whole nother. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you got to learn it. You got to learn it. Once you got it, you got it. But you got to learn. You got to take the time and do it. And a lot of times, it's not their fault either. I'm not going to say, hey, it's a race thing. It's something to do with, hey, if I'm tattooing in Idaho, I don't have any experience right. to tattoo no black people. You remember that black people only in certain major cities, so you don't have enough experience to do it. Yeah. So if you don't know, you don't know how to do it. You know, but if you like and see like New York and Houston and Chicago and all this shit, you don't know how to tattoo a black person by now. You're just doing it because you know you're not you ain't trying to advertise to them. Right. You don't want them. Uh, but if you're in you the go. middle Earth, middle America, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, in the boonies somewhere, <laughs> and you don't see black people too often, I can't. I'm not gonna knock you for not doing, not experimenting. You don't want to experiment on skin. You can't. Yeah. You once you fuck up, you fuck up. If you don't know what you're doing, I'd rather you not do it. Yeah. Um, but it's the artists in those big cities that I got a problem with because it ain't no excuses why you got a shop in Atlanta, Georgia, and don't have no tattoo experience on black skin. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, that's wild. You know, I, never, I don't know that like about, about it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah black tattoo artist. I had a young tattoo. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't tattoo dark skin. Nigga, you black as hell. <laughs> so, why the hell you wouldn't tattoo your brother? Like, that's crazy. But, you know, yeah, yeah, I love it, though. I love it. I love some melanated skin. Like, it's not a problem for me. Like, that's it's not up. a problem. That's what's up. Yeah. Like, how is, how is it in the in the tattoo world having black artists in the tattoo world? Like, are y'all treated different? Well, we didn't like, have, when we first started, it was like six of us. Mm. Remember, I was, in Color Outside the Lines, if you look at that documentary, when it started off, it was back in the early 90s, it was only like six or seven of us. Wow. Period, in the world. Wow. 
Miss Jackie Gresham, God bless her. She's alive to this day, still tattooing. She started tattooing in 1974. That's Miss Jackie, Jackie down in New Orleans. And um, she's amazing. But that's the first black tattoo artist. Wow. Yeah. And then the black tattoo culture really helped us out right in the West End. I was trained by Julie Alfonso, which was a white lady who was like, back then you had to be affiliated with a biker gang. Mm. She was affiliated. She was a property of Outkast in Atlanta. And they asked her to train black tattoo artists. And with me and Tuki and Lloyd Yada and them, we were the first generation of black tattoo artists. And um, that was a big, we didn't, they, she popped in that, y'all the first ones, y'all the first ones, y'all the first generation, take it serious. He didn't take it serious until we got like mid twenties and then like, oh, cause we're young. You know what I'm saying? He's like, oh shit, yeah. you gotta really take it serious and you gotta really represent for the people. Because they did, they treat us like shit. Mm. Like it was only a few of us. Oh, that's the black guy who think he can tattoo, you know what I'm saying? Mm. I was the only black tattoo artist in North Carolina. Period. Yeah. So I had to move to Atlanta. Well, when I lucky when I got down here, Lloyd Yada was here. And, you know, and I, I you know, and we learned from the same lady. The same day that he finished his apprenticeship, the next day I was coming in. Mm. So it was, I was just lucky to, you know, I was blessed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? To be able to connect with that type of, you know, those people. Yeah. And we didn't, and we knew we was making history. Like, you know, it, it kicked in like, oh shit, we're the first ones of our kind. And it, we laid down the foundation of that shit. So we had to make all the mistakes how to properly do it. Right. You know what I'm saying? How to tone your machines, how to run it, how deep you go, how soft you go, how this and how that. We had to learn all that through trial and error. You know what I'm saying? I was keeping it safe. Tuki was the most experimental one. Ah. You know? But it paid <laughs> off because if it weren't for Tuki, we wouldn't be seeing the colors we see today on black skin. Because mm. he was brave enough to attempt it with his baby moms. Baby mom was like, you can be, you can do it on me. Wow. Because back then we had to mix our own colors. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Tuki was the first one. I watched him do a certain colors and it woke my mind up because I was like into like gangster shit, black and gray gangster. But Tuki showed me these colors that he was actually doing, which got me like, oh man, and explored my mind to start doing more color stuff. And it was it. Because everything they taught us that we couldn't do, we could do it. They like, y'all can't do this. Black people can't get this color, that color. Tuki was doing, oh, I'm about to do some pinks some oranges, some this and that, yeah. and he did it. Yeah. And it, then once I see him do it, and I knew I could do it, he was brave enough to do it first. You know what I'm saying? Nah, so, that's what's up. That, yeah. That's what you need right there. Yeah. 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 They, get, they get, you know, we just want to be treated the same. That's all it is. Yeah, man. man. Pull, pull, I didn't care about, but I'm going to be real. I didn't care what white people thinking. <laughs> 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 I mean, they don't, like, I've never been, a, like, I'm going to be realistic. I don't depend on the white dollar. Mm. Like, I never was a person to depend on the white dollar. Just, if, if my people feed me. So it's just like, if I, you know, like, I'm not tripping about how many white people buy my paintings or how many white people uh, buy my drawings or how many white people book me. If they do, I'm thankful for it because I'm like, they can see past color. Yeah. And I'm the type of people I want to deal with anyway. Yeah. Um, that's cool. But I don't go for them. Yeah. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? If I don't have nobody, if I don't tattoo a white person all year, it don't bother me. It don't affect my pockets in any way. There's no white people buying none of my art for five years. I will, I will, I'm 100% can eat and make all the money I want to make every day off my own people. So I never, it just never affected me. Like white people just don't exist in my world like that unless it's time to do business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't yeah. really care about their acceptance like that. Like yeah. I'm not worried about them. God bless them. And if they want to support the mission, then we allies in the game. And then that's my brother and that's my sister. That's how I look at it. I'm separated by color, but yeah. I just don't 
since I don't care about color that much or concentrate on it, then uh, it just don't never be a thought in my mind. So if I got all, if I just noticed like, damn, my, my dollar is the black dollar. Like I'm thankful. Like I don't really have to depend outside of my own people for anything, mm-hmm. you know? And that made me proud. You know what I'm saying? That I don't have to really do that. So I know a lot of people like, you know, you need, I'm like, I don't really care about that. Like I won't, my goal in life is to have an original piece of art and as many black homes I can touch. That's it. Nothing more. I don't care if it's a sketch, a drawing, a painting, or whatever, a sculpture. I want as many pieces of original art as Wack got prints all over the place. Because Wack everywhere, right? Wack yeah, is Wack everywhere. Good, I just yeah. want people to get, you know, yeah. like, you know, like I'm going to do affordable pieces and, and I'm going to do expensive pieces. Yeah. And the more expensive pieces make me can do more affordable pieces for people who can't afford it. Yeah. That piece is still going to increase in value. Yeah. And it's a dope to have, you know, like I go back home and I know for a fact it's a couple of motherfuckers that live in the hood that gone, got an original Maya Bailey painting hanging in their living room. I love that. I can go yeah. in the hood. You know what I'm saying? It might be right beside a whack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Matter of fact, I had him on a podcast. We talked about you. He was like, you gave him his first uh, solo show yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, man. That's my brother, man. Yeah. I love him, man. And people like that keep me inspired. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I know he a grinder. I know he about his business. How would I not be inspired by my friends like that? Yeah. Like, I look at him as like pure OG, man. And I'm like, how can I not be inspired by him and Charlie? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. them, And Maurice, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like- it's just certain people, man, it just, just I don't know, touched me when I was younger. And, you know, like, they really touched me. And I'm thankful for them, you know, believing in me early. Charlie believed in me early. Wack believed in me early. Maurice, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. W. Like, I, I, I fuck with those dudes for the long, a long way. Anything they need from me, I'm going to always be there for them. Yeah, that's real. And so, talk a little bit about, as we move into... The, your fine art a little bit more mm-hmm. because you got the the tattoos and the community and the culture everything around City Inc. But you also have this very personal work that you're creating with paintings and now uh, your new stuff much more gestural. We were talking about it. It's sitting around here in the studio. You wrapping it up the ship like all yeah. over. Like it's amazing to see kind of not just the growth but the evolution of like the ideas that you have mm-hmm. and like using now you're bringing in all these different materials and stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about your recent show, Government Cheese, that you just had up and recently came down. Yeah, uh, Government Cheese, so the show I did last year was the Twin Flame show. And I was just really dealing with heartbreak. Like I was, man, I was sad, man. I can't even front. <laughs> <laughs> that show, had, I was so sad, man, last year, bro. I can't even front, man. I feel like my heart was going to pop. I never felt that way wow. before. Like I was emotionally down, bro. Mm. Like I was emotionally sad bro but i didn't want to remember you know the relationship as a bad thing at first it was dark the show was like last year's show was dark it was getting dark i'm like no nah, ain't nobody buying this shit <laughs> <laughs> let me let me make focus on the positive right and it once i got the show it sold out uh the first day and i felt good i made you know i didn't have no business partners mm-hmm. so i made all the profit mm-hmm. And I was sitting there with like 60 bands. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hell yeah. But I was just sad. And I knew I was going to do another show, you know, the following year around the same time. And I was like, man, I just kept this concept of just the hood mentality. And I was reflecting back on Twin Flame and why I lost 
my friendship with the person, my with my best friend. Like I, that was a friend of mine that you know it was just it was just I said some shit that mm-hmm. you know rubbed him the wrong way, mm-hmm. and and it affected our bond, and then probably my ego and allowed me to really you know truly apologize or the way I probably probably should have did it, and um, I just had to look at myself, self reflect because you know you start believing stuff people say about you. Once mm. you hurt somebody, you're like, damn, am I really that fucked up? Mm. And it made me just go through therapy. And when I was going through this therapy, it was just like, you just got a lot of nigga shit in you, <laughs> like a baggage. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I got this, like, I'm in survival mode, and I don't need to be in survival mode anymore. Like, it's hard to, when you slept on the floor, you've been grinding, and you've been poor, and the fear of being broke again is a real fear. Like, I never want to be poor again. So once I reached a certain like financial goal I reached and I thought I would help me out, it didn't help me, bro. Mm. It was like, damn, I made a million dollars and I'm sad, bro. Mm. Like, why am I sad? Like, this is a dream of my dream, my childhood dream. It's complete. I can chill out. I can retire now. And I'm like, why am I sad, though? I did all this stuff at Peter Street Station with the community. It was still, my soul was still feeling empty. Like, I'm giving all I can to my people. I'm serving everybody around me. And then I just realized, like, damn, I'm a servant. I'm losing myself mm. to please people. Mm. And I started doing my therapy, and I started letting that baggage out. And a lot of stuff was, like, past trauma and hood shit I just had to get rid of. You know, I had stuff in my head that I didn't need anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, he grew up listening to UGK and eight ball and G shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He thinking, you know, like, you know, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> We ain't got to live like that no more. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, love is a bad thing or some shit. Like, I'm looking at it like, you know, I'm just, I don't know. And so I just started doing that. And then government cheese was like, um, I didn't question what I was given. Mm. Like, my OGs was like, hey, man, this is how you treat her. And that's how you treat her. You treating people different based off their personal decisions in life. You're, you're looking at this brother weak and this one strong. You know what I'm saying? I'm just doing too much intellect, like, in, like in the middle judging and i was like i can't let this uh i can't let this affect me I, I and i can't lose another friendship that i had this was so special to me i can't lose another friendship based off me being stupid you know mm. what i'm saying yeah like i can't let that happen so i'm like man yeah let me get my shit together and that's what i did man i, I went to therapy start uh letting out baggage so you'll see like subjects of like toxic masculinity and and poverty and um and all these things that we thought was cool it ain't cool man when you don't need them no more like when you're in the streets you might need some of those coping mechanisms but i'm living an artist life i don't really need none yeah. of that ghetto ass yeah. shit no more you know what i'm saying like i'm i'm sipping tea and uh <laughs> you know what i'm saying i'm i'm fucking you know <clears throat> i'm really just doing i'm just doing art i'm living an artist life 100 why do i have there's still a, a hood mentality. Mm. And I didn't want that shit no more. I don't like feeling like, you know, I was going to these board meetings. I'm hanging with other millionaire people and they millionaires. And I feel like I'm, I, I don't know, I feel like I don't belong and shit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling like, oh, I'm just a, not even a token black, they black friend, but I feel like I could be a, a like, am I the token hood nigga? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, am I, the, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the yeah. token hood nigga. I want to be, a res- you know, I always want to be, you know, I don't want to be viewed in that way. And I, cause yeah. I'm not from there. I'm not there no more. Like I'm, I've been out of there and you know, I don't want to go back to that, that lifestyle. And then when that situation with Corey, you know, 
you know, Corey was attacked. Mm-hmm. That shit was strong, man, for me to, I had to really deal with therapy with that. Like, really, like, I could go, I could blow it all. And I didn't, and I felt like I was in the brink of God testing me at this time. This was spirituality really kicked in. You know what I'm saying? My son was dealing with some shit. My son was dealing with some shit. Corey was dealing with some shit. These are like two of my children almost. You know mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And as somebody who a protector and, and a provider and all this stuff, it's like, I want to jump in the battle for him. And uh, I just like, damn, man, if I lose this, I'm, everybody who depends on me is going to, what's going to happen? You know what I'm saying? What's yeah. going to happen to City Inc.? What's going to happen to Peter Street? What's going to happen to my family, my daughter? Like, what's going to happen if I, if I go into war one more time, like Kalito's way? That's how I looked at it. Like, <laughs> I'm getting called back into war, and I ain't been in war in a long time. I might man. lose this situation. Yeah. And I really had to humble myself and, and really let like really focus on God, mm. like really focus on, you know, like controlling my thoughts, good intentions, and really digging into myself and finding like a really spiritual balance with myself. Like, man, like God is testing me right now. What am I going to do? If I'm going to stay a teacher, I'm going to go back into being a warrior. Mm. Which one am I going to do? And it was a hard decision. It was something I had to battle with, and I know I needed therapy to get through it because the show was traumatizing my motherfucking ass doing this thing. I'm thinking about, my friends cooking crack. I'm thinking about robberies. I'm thinking about all these things to create this artwork that I no longer needed. Every show was a let go of something. Every art show I did, this was my seventh show, seventh solo show. Every show was a stage in my life where I'm letting go something. But this one took the longest to let go. It was the hardest for me to do mm. because I'm like, I didn't really think I needed to let it go. Yeah. I was always taught, you can take the hood. You can take a nigga out of the hood. You can't take. The, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But I yeah, don't yeah. believe in that. No. Yeah. I don't believe in that philosophy. I believe I can take the hood out of me. I'm not gonna forget it. Uh, I don't want to lose my edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to lose my my street sense. But I don't want to be where like if a motherfucker say something to me on the streets, are oh, you looking at me funny? Then I'm ready to pull out a gun and shoot you. I don't want to live like that. You know what I'm saying? And um, I know the energy I put out, the energy I get back. Yeah. So I want to control all my thoughts. Yeah. So shedding that negativity, man. That's, yeah, I was shedding it out. Yeah. That's why I didn't, like, with this show, it was different because I'm like, eh, it's not going to be as pretty as the last shows. I don't want it to be pretty, though, because it's not a pretty, it wasn't a pretty thing. I was letting go. I was letting go of a lot of uh, baggage. Yeah. And so the color palette now is very muted. Yeah. Like a lot of browns, a lot uh-huh. of blacks and grays. Yeah. And usually, like, especially when I think of, like, your Burton Ernie like, yeah. pieces, mad colorful, mm-hmm. lively, mm-hmm. abstract. So even this approach we, we were talking about before about how you wanted to stay away from paintbrushes. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, man, because I've been painting, using the brush for a long time. And I would just really want to push myself not to use brushes that I didn't need to. I really want to kind of go with, like, a lot of finger painting and uh, palette knives and uh, just anything I could do to just pull the paint without using a brush. I just did the best I could. You know what I'm saying? And it was just something I wanted to do to make this because I had to find because there was so much trauma in the paint pieces that I had to want to have some fun with the pieces mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Experiment with design and um, composition a lot. You know that kind of kept me balanced. You know, because I was like, I, it's not really, I don't really want people to kind of look at it like it's a hood show. I want them to more look, you know, like pay attention to the composition design. Then you happen to see the subject matter. So I was focused more on design and composition. And then I was like, do I got where I'm going to put the message at in the piece? Mm-hmm. So it was the message was last after 
design and composition on these pieces. Yeah. Everything was kind of thought about like, I know I want to do something with some negative space. I'm going to do something with some sharp cut edges. Then I'm going to go loose. You know, I just knew I want to do with this. And then the subject matter came last after I did all the textures, left a space for the piece. I kind of, you know, I compartmentalized everything. The black represent the void of emotion because you can't really have any in the streets. But in that gray area is the mixture between that void of uh, emotion and, 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 and the mutant of your emotion. Then it go into color, you know? And then I just thought, and the color was the memories of whatever I was, you know, the message of it. Yeah. You know, but I kind of compartmentalize everything and trying to show emotion through texture instead of a paintbrush this time. I like it. And you're using a lot of different textures in this. You know, y'all, y'all, I wish y'all could see these pieces in person because it's like wood chips, it's old sneakers, it's snake skin. Yeah. It's like modeling paste, using keys, using like hot, hot cones yeah. on the stove. Y'all like, you got all kinds of stuff in there. And that's kind of just a collection of stuff that you have around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cause I like I bought so many sneakers and had so many sneakers there. I'm like, man, what am I gonna do with these things? They're all bent up now. To, it's creased. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can't wear them. Can't give them away. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna cut them up. You know what I'm saying? Instead of throwing them away, I cut them up and use them as textures and pieces. And um, and then people like when you use a different texture. You're like, what do you use? Oh, that's some sneakers. You know, I just cut them up to make the texture. You know what I'm saying? And you can't tell what it, the medium is. The whole goal is not to be able to tell what it is after I finish it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like, hey, that's some sneakers. But on those, I left the zippers on it because I just thought the zippers looked dope and it matte in it. Yeah, and they I, pop you know, on the black. Yeah, yeah, and I just made it because I use gray. And I thought the silver, the gray, it's a match. Like I think in design and composition, that was basically the reason I used the zippers on that piece and not cut them out the shoes. Nah, that's strong work, man. Thank you. No, nah, man. Yeah, this is a great show, man, that you put together. Yo. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Man, I'm very thankful for people. And I had to go up on my price points on this one um, just to see. And just like, like I said, an experiment, man. I'm not afraid to experiment and doing shows. A lot of people, like when you even did, like I didn't sold, I had six sellout shows in the first night. This one didn't sell out the first night, but it sold majority of the pieces within that 30 days because I was taking payment plans. Mm-hmm. The price point was bigger. I, you know, I can negotiate a price. Like it was a different hustle and I just needed something new. And I just needed a new high, in yeah. other words. Cause I'm yeah. like, yeah, I, I, Twin Flame, even though it was emotional and I was heartbroken, I still executed in a way where I know my art, what my art collectors want. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew what they wanted. Right. I know how to give it to them. And yeah. Like, yeah, they're going to love this. I'm going to eat them. They're going to love this. <laughs> I put all my little tears on it. <laughs> I'm crying over this one, man. They're going to love it. You know what I'm saying? As a businessman, I can step outside of my own emotions and be like, oh, my, you cried on that one, boy. They're going to love it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They're yeah. going to feel that one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's easy. With this one, it was more like, let me experiment. And I don't want to be pretty. I don't want to, you know, I just know they look dope in somebody's house. (laughs) I didn't want it to be too pretty. And so do you think you're learning, what lesson are you learning from like this experimentation and like seeing the final product and like how does it change how you're going to approach it in the future? Or does it it change or is it still going to just be playing? Well, I learned this. I learned this. It's harder to sell a piece with a gun in it. Mm. There you go. Yeah, I learned that. That's the lesson I learned. It's harder to sell a piece with a gun in it. And if I probably would have went to Ridgeway, I probably went so shit because I had a lot of guns. <laughs> but um, but I learned that's the hardest thing. You know what I'm saying? And right. I realized, like, damn, I'm really, it's not a lot of people that came out. I, my goal, my vision was what I was thinking, like, um, damn, it's going to be some people who made it out of the hood that can understand it. Then I realized, like, damn, man, it's not a lot of people that made it out the hood. They didn't make it, yeah. So like, they won't live be that to lifestyle, a point where they yeah. find 
you know, fine art. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They made it to that point. Because you to do to know what a tech nine is is somebody who was in the nineties living yeah. that life and yeah. they know what that tech nine is. They don't even sell those things, I don't think no more. But you gotta know to know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's not a lot of people that know. And I learned that like damn it took a lot uh took harder to sell those pieces mm. with the guns in them than anything. Yeah, it's different. It's different. But no, I, I I want you to I hope that you like coming out of it, man, from what I see. Like the compositional stuff that you're trying, mm-hmm. like the the playing around with colors and stuff. I think about your other work, and I don't know. I think there's a, a in between space that you can get to, yeah, like yeah. with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this was like I looked. This was just my visual therapy. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a proof that the therapy was happening and it was working for me. Yeah. The next, I didn't want to create art from this place anymore. Did that make sense? Like, yeah, no. Nah, this, this is the person. last yeah. time that get I will make you. a. a, a like I guess as an artist when I was growing up, the tortured soul is the easiest way to make art. Like, and now I'm at a point where I don't want to be a tortured soul, bro. I don't want to be like the the, the I don't want to use depression and sadness and heartbreak and pain to make art anymore. I just yeah. don't want to do it. I didn't did it my whole entire life, and I can still channel it when I need to. Like when they say, "Oh my, I like your eyes and your little pretty eyes you do," because I can put some heart pain in it. You know what I'm saying? And people can relate to feeling something in those eyes. But I didn't want to do that. Like if you know, like even some of the pieces, I marked the eyes out because mm-hmm. I didn't. Want, that's the reason that like I didn't want uh, that to be. You know what I'm saying? Like I know that's the catcher for a lot of my pieces. Like people like the eyes. Oh, you can feel them. It's just because I like maybe I was sad, and I can channel that shit in that piece. Right. Even if the piece is beautiful, people can still relate to some emotion they can feel in the yeah. eyes of a piece. So in this show, I was just trying to mark out no eyes, no nothing of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to create from that place. Um, I didn't want to create from a place of darkness anymore. So this is the end of that. And it, and then when we see a full, you'll see a blend of all these things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nah, I like, can't wait to see it, man. Yeah, it's I'm gonna, excited it's too, It's going to be man. super dope, man. Yeah. And so I don't know like, what, what is, what's in the immediate future for you? Or do you got like five years planned out already? I got my life planned out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know because this is a big thing with you and we're, we're trying to end it around this down now. But we say that you always talk about re- being retired. Yeah, man. Like, are you, are you ever really going to retire, man? Well, I'm not going to, re- I'm not going to retire from tattooing drawing or painting i'm not going to tattoo from it but i'm not going to be with my source of income mm. you know that makes sense like yeah. i don't want to have to sell like damn i gotta sell 30 paints this year i gotta do this many drawings this year i gotta do this many tattoos this year to make a living like it's about passive income so i can be fully like even as a even as an artist no matter how much emotion stuff i put in it as an art dealer in my subconscious mm. i know what to create to sell that makes sense. Yeah, that like makes I know, sense. I know they're gonna eat. You know your up. market. Yeah, I know it. So I'm like, I don't want to depend on that. You know, I start feeling like Drake. <laughs> now Drake don't. You know, like Drake know how to win. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. He ain't gambling. <laughs> <laughs> he like he ain't rolling no dice. Yeah, he like I'm about to say hit. this because they gonna love this. They gonna yeah. love that. They gonna yeah. love this. I don't want to be Drake. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah. I'm more of a like I want to be able to have enough money to financially uh, not worry about, you know what I'm saying? Hey, I got to pay this much taxes and this and this and that. I got to do this many paints and I got to make some paints that I know it's going to sell. I don't want that. That's for me like I'm feeling like a slave. Right. Um, pure freedom to me is passive income. So I'm opening up a commercial uh, real estate company. Nice. Next year. 
Nice. Um, yeah. Where I'm going to, I got some properties I'm looking at and I'm going to remodel them, gut them out and I'm going to let artists rent them out and do what they need to Oh, that's to big. Yeah. Yeah, you know I'm saying like, shit, you be having studios and everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody know got studios. Shit, I just want to be a landlord. <laughs> 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 Realistically, I just want to be, I can replace my income just by gutting the building. I love remodeling building. I love interior design, but it's kind of boring when you just do art studios because you don't really got to do nothing but white walls and yeah, shit, you yeah, know, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. In the, yeah. I'm going to do some gallery spaces. I'm going to do everything that, you know, people want, but it, it's not going to be gallery owned. I may ran by me. I'm just going to own the building. I want someone else to have their own gallery. Yeah. Giving you know somebody else yeah, a chance to build the, it. Yeah, I just want the yeah. rent. Yeah. I just want the rent to stay out your way. I don't, I don't care what you do. As long as you don't burn my shit down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like art studios with storefronts. Yeah. You know I like what I'm that. Saying? Yeah. Like, nah, that's, that's dope. That's a great yeah, idea. Yeah. Like I want to do storefront buildings where people can rent out the space for me. I'm not going to be tripping about I, If I know you. I'm not tripping about credit and all the stuff that they be putting you through and all this stuff. I just know that, hey, this artist is, I'm a finished artist. Hey, man, as long as I get some first dibs. <laughs> hey, man, get that deposit. How about I just move on in and get started, man? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, I'm a collector too. You I know? love it. Yeah, I love it, man. See, that's artists run spaces, man. Yeah, you man. know what I'm saying? So like, it's like, my thing is real estate is the move. You can't make more dirt. You can't, you can't, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always going to increase in value. You don't really go down. So just like when you like Peter Street Station, where Notch Eight was the first taste of real estate deal with me. You know what I'm saying? And understanding the business that was a priceless. I learned so much from Notch Eight, and then going into Peter Street Station and putting that equity in it and doing this, flipping it from like, you know, like you know, I think it was like four hundred and fifty thousand, putting a hundred ninety in it, and then it flipped to like over a million. Oh yeah, like it's just a really good thing, and it's part of your assets in your portfolio that mm-hmm. I can use as leverage for the next building, the next building, the next building. Yeah, and then you know, my artists, man, usually they work with me for about anywhere from three to five years, right? And then after that point, they're on their own, right? But they usually rent from someone else. Hey man, you don't got to, yeah, yeah man. How about, you ready? I got a building for you, man. It's yours. You build it out. You know I how to do it. it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You do whatever you want to. I'm just gonna give you the, the canvas. It's gonna be ready to go. All you gotta do is build it out. It's your canvas, and I'm learning when you build it out. That's when you put equity in it, and that's when the property value go up. Artists make property value go up mm-hmm. because we creative. Yeah, and, that, and we can increase any value in any building. Yeah, and we just need like. With you on that thought, man, we need people like you in the community that benefits rather than other people benefiting yeah. off of yeah. what we yeah. do. I love right. it, man. So I'm, yeah, I'm, my goal is to get like be like nice size buildings so I can g- gut them out and divide them up, storefront each one. Everybody got their own space. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They can do what they want to do. Oh, man. Put your boy on the list, man. I got to yeah, get a part like of that, am, man. Yeah, that's, like, that's good that's stuff right shooting there. That, that's shooting that two-year right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I love it, yo. That's what's up, man. That's what's up, yo. Tell them where they can get in contact with you, man. See you, maybe get a tattoo from you, all that good stuff, man. Man, shit, man. You can hit me on Instagram at Maya Bailey. I be on Instagram. So, I mean, <laughs> if you can hit me on that thing. Or you can just call me, 404-644-1912. It's my business number. I've been insane for over 20 years. That's what's up, It's yo. on the window. <laughs> but I'm really easy to reach and I'm accessible and you talk directly to me. I like to handle my own business up. I don't book my own appointments and mm-hmm. nothing like that. I got a system, but um, but I want to talk to everybody I do business with directly. So That's what's up, yo. It's Maya Bailey, yo. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It was man. totally an honor, bro. brother. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Yo, love, my man. man. My man. Love, <laughs> Oh,
that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Maya Bailey for everything he's doing. Such an inspiration to see him building like that. Next week, we're bringing back Donna Coro to the podcast. Oh, she's been on a journey. Can't wait to talk to her again. And to all my artists out there, you know, Blick be having them sales on brushes, but you got brushes. And you ain't use them yet. You got to get in there and make that noise, baby. Stop buying stuff. <laughs> well, maybe one more brush won't hurt you. <laughs> it's the noise. I'll see y'all next week. Your boy, Jay Barber. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.